I've been thinking about this message for a while, and as I started working on it, I said, Lord, if there's something else you want me to preach about, I'd be happy to. Um, but I kept, you know, kind of going back to that, and he kept kind of not giving me anything else and keep coming, bringing me back to this, this topic. So, um, but I wanted to talk about conflict uh, among people. Uh, conflict in the, in the church, conflict in families, conflict in our friendships, just conflict um, all around. But particularly, conflict in, in the relationships that we hold dear in a community uh, like this, whether it's our, our church community or our family community, those that we live with on, on a regular basis. Um, because even though we are saved we still have to learn to live out the kingdom values, right? Uh, we are a new creation in Christ, but that new creation means we're an infant in Christ and we need to begin to learn the culture of the kingdom of God and how to live according to the customs and, and rules of the kingdom of God. And so as infants, we don't learn that all at once. We learn that, that over time. I heard a, a preacher say the other day, that the modern church needs to return to uh, the church of Acts, to the church of the New Testament. And, and I think what he was trying to get at was probably Acts chapter 2, where there is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people start joining uh, the church. Um, but that was just, you know, one morning in the church life. That wasn't the day-to-day. -day. I mean, as you read Acts... Um, you, you'll find that what keeps coming up more and more is that there was a lot of conflict in the early church. There was a lot of disagreement. There was a lot of arguments in the early church. Um, and so I, I think we need to talk about that and learn what the church went through and how we can uh, better deal with conflicts in, in the church today and in our relationships with our families and, and others. So... Um, You know, so part of the reasons why there is conflict is there's this phrase I like to say, people be people. Um, and what that just means is that as people, we have limitations, we have blind spots, we have preferences that turn into prejudices uh, often. And we need to be aware of that. And, and as people, we need to give grace to one another, have grace for ourselves, but at the same time be working toward how do we live out the values of the kingdom of God? And so um, part of the things that we can learn, I think, from, from the New Testament church is that, that in living out the kingdom values, we have to learn to live by values rather than our personality. Now, my personality is, is one thing, but if I lived by my personality, Heather and I would be living on an island by ourselves. And I would spend my day fishing and walking on the beach. Um, because that's my personality. I like being alone. I like being in nature. But my values is to care for people. My values are to bring the word of God to those around me, to bring his forgiveness, to bring his kindness, to bring his love. And so I, I respect my personality, but I choose to live by my values. And as my personality can fit within those kingdom values, then it's in its proper place. 
Oftentimes, though, the world says, live by your personality, don't worry about the values. If the values don't fit within your personality, then just abandon them and, and, and do whatever feels right. But the kingdom of God is not that way. The kingdom of God is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have to make a choice. So one of the things that we, we often lead to conflict around us is that we have a blind spot in our behavior that becomes a bias or hurts other people around us and we don't realize it. And so I, I want you to, to be able to learn to see your blind spots. Now, that may sound like a, a, an oxymoron, uh, but that's what this little handout I gave you uh, that you picked up today. So uh, does everyone have one of these? Or if not, then the ushers, if you can have some. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get a couple out to you. So, yeah, so we'll, hold on just a second. Here, we've got a couple over here, um, over there. We have a couple more over there. So, um, now, God built you with a blind spot. Do you realize that? So, uh, physically, our blind spot occurs because where uh, the, the, how the eye is shaped, right as the, the, at the back of the, uh, back of the eye as the, I'm forgetting my words right now, optical nerve, thank you, connects to the back of the eye, where that optical nerve connects, there is a blind spot in how, um, how we see the world around us. Now, the reason we don't see it is because we have two eyes, and the blind spot on our left eye is covered by the peripheral vision on our right eye. And likewise, the blind spot on our right eye is covered by the peripheral vision of our left eye. And our brain combines the images from the two eyes and covers the blind spot. But I'm going to show you how to see your blind spot. So you're going to take the piece of paper. So here um, on, the, on the right side, is a plus sign. On the left side is a, a dot. And so what you're going to do is you're going to close your right eye and hold this paper out in front of you. Now the, the plus sign should be in front of your right eye. And then you continue to move it forward with your right, with your right eye closed. And when you get to a certain point, it, now your left eye should be looking at the plus sign. Okay, Focus your eye, left eye on the plus sign. As you move it in closer toward your face, keeping your eye on the plus sign, the dot on the left will disappear. And that is your blind spot. Now mine is about this distance. So what is that, about four inches, six inches from my, from my nose? Okay. Now, if, it may take a little bit of work to, to try to figure this out. So, you have to have this eye closed. You're looking at your left eye to the plus sign. And then as you move it forward, that dot will disappear. And when it disappears, that's your blind spot. Okay? Now, so you can see your blind spot. And, and this is what happens in relationships too, right? 
we have a, a blind spot maybe in how we go about life, how we do things um, in our relationships with others. We think we're doing fine, but we're doing something uh, that others notice and see, but we don't see because it's a blind spot. Um, the early church had a blind spot that they had to deal with. And I want to read about it in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Greek Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Blind spot, right? So at this point in the church, there were a lot of people coming. And so, uh, you know, a couple chapters back is the idea of people were selling property and land and bringing the food, uh, bringing the money to the church, and the church was redistributing it to meet people's needs, uh, different needs. And yet in that distribution, certain people were being overlooked. Let's keep reading. So the 12 gathered all of the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to fulfill, to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them for the work at hand. So there was conflict in the early church that arose because there was unintentional discrimination going on, right? I say that it didn't appear to be intentional. I mean, there was the distribution of food. I don't know exactly what the setup there was. Probably the apostles, the disciples at the time were busy doing ministry and, and praying, seeking the Lord, trying to figure out how do we do what God has called us to do. And waiting tables wasn't high on their list, right? So people had to speak up and say, hey, this isn't right. You know, it's kind of what David was talking about, injustice, right? There was some injustice in the church, and it tweaked the hearts of some people, and so they had to speak up um, and bring it to their attention. And so the, the church leaders got together and said, you're right, we, we just need to fix this. And so let's come together and figure out a solution so that this blind spot is covered by other parts of the, of the church. And so they did. It's a simple thing. The conflict doesn't need to grow into division. It just needs to be resolved. So blind spots are an important part of how conflict grows in a community. Another part is our preferences. And, and I learned this a long time ago because I have preferences, you have preferences, and sometimes our preferences can become prejudices, right? If they begin to exclude others, if they begin to belittle others, because I have a preference. Um, 
when I saw this as kind of the first time as really being a problem, um, was when we were planning, it, it was a problem before, but this was the time I first saw it as a problem, or people told me it was a problem. Um, my, my, my son and daughter-in-law were planning on getting married, and we were setting up the, um, the dinner before the wedding. What do you call that? Rehearsal dinner. There we go. See, this is a participatory sermon. Fill in, fill in the blank. Audible, fill in the blank. And the Lord said. Um, so I was put, because I like to cook, it made sense to some people that I should be put in charge of deciding the menu for the rehearsal dinner. We we're going to do it at a local restaurant. Um, so, so I looked over the menu, called the place, set up the dinner, and was happy with my choices. I consulted a few people, you know, so. Um, but then they, you know, and I told them what the menu was, and then they said, uh, what's for dessert? I said, I didn't order dessert. I don't eat dessert. I'd rather have a second helping of the main dish. And I was told pretty quickly, that's not acceptable. <laughs> you know, other people do like to have dessert, and we have to have at least two choices. So I had to call back and order dessert, which I didn't want to, but I did. But that was my preference, right? I mean, that, so my preference is okay to, I'm, I'm okay to have preferences. But when my preferences begin to exclude the preferences of others or belittle others because, well, my preference is the best and yours is crappy, then that's not okay, right? I mean, it, in some, we have these in simple things. You, you know, I may have a preference for vanilla ice cream, and if I do the grocery shopping... I buy vanilla ice cream, but then I don't buy any other flavors of ice cream, which others in my household might enjoy. So it's an unintentional thing, but it can also lead to conflict, right? Well, why don't you ever buy the ice cream I like? And if we give that a foothold, a, a little unintentional act can lead to bitterness or to resentment in our hearts. Or, or we put that in a setting, and, and, and I'm, this is where, you know, I've had people say, you've gone from preaching to meddling, you, you know. And I don't want to get into meddling, but, but sometimes you have to talk about what's the application of this. So, so here's often how this experience is in, in, in the church, right? That we have a preference for something, and that preference becomes an exclusion, not because we're trying to exclude, but because... We're just living within our preference. So let's take music, for example, right? I mean, I, I used to be a worship leader years ago before I realized I wasn't good at being a worship leader. You know, it's through that experience. You do something for a couple of years, and you, you realize, I'm not good at this. And people don't tell me that. They just kind of like, oh, it's Dennis. So... But, but I have a style. I mean, I, I, play, I play guitar, I play piano. Um, not very well. So I have a limited range of chords that I can play. I have a style that I like, that I grew up with. And my preference is that I play songs that I can 
played to the best of my ability. I play songs that I like to sing myself that have a rhythm. I'm not that syncopated, so you know, you get into a complex rhythm and I start to stumble over myself. So my preference in leading worship, I'm going to stick with what I know how to do. But others who have a different preference may feel excluded in my style of worship, right? Not that I'm trying to exclude them. I'm just trying to do the best that I can. But they're not, we're not, I'm not helping them into what their worship style is. So when does my preference become a prejudice that others experience? Right? And so we, we begin to wrestle with that. And so I, I want to talk about um, how this kind of came up in the church. So if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Peter had a preference um, that he was kind of enculturated into that, that he only associate with Jews. Um, now, that led to a prejudice against Gentiles, any, anybody who was non-Jewish. And, and God had to deal with him about that preference that had become a prejudice and was holding back the kingdom of God and what God wanted Peter to do and the ministry that God wanted Peter uh, to have. So let's start in, in Acts 10 uh, and read 9 through 16. So about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I, I usually fall into the trance after I've eaten the meal. That's kind of... Have my Thanksgiving dinner and fall into a trance and seek the Lord in a dream. Uh, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles on the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And then Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. Wouldn't you? I mean, that's a... Pretty clear vision, pretty strong statement that anything that happens, when I dream something three times in a row, it's like, okay, let me pay attention here, right? So he's trying to understand what's going on. Um, and then these people come to his house and say, okay, we've been sent by Cornelius, a Gentile, but he's a godly man, um, and, and we'd like you to come to his home. And so Peter agrees to do something he would prefer not to do. And we read about that in Acts 10, 25 through 28. As Peter entered the house of Cornelius, 
As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and stand up, and I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, You are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Just let that sink in for a minute. This was the cultural religious rule that Peter had grown up under, that he understood as being the will of God for his life. And yet at this point, God was saying, don't call anything I've made clean, unclean. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. My, may I ask why you sent me? So Peter begins to understand this vision that he had the day or so before and what God is speaking to his soul. At this point, Peter has a decision to make, right? He started making a decision. At least he's going to go explore what's kind of going on. These happenstance, this uh, what seems to be unlikely events seem to be connected in his mind in some way. And so in, in verses 44 through 48, we see what Peter decides to do. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So Peter's preference, and I use that, I mean, it was a strong preference. It was a way he had structured his whole life. I'm not going to live, I'm not going to enter the house of a Gentile. I am not going to uh, visit a Gentile. He laid down because God had called him to a new way of life. And so this was a big shift in, in, in the church um, that, that, that had to take place for all of us to be sitting in this house of worship today, right? Um, in order to hear the, the, the life uh, that God wants to give us. But Peter wasn't the only uh, church leader there who had some problems with this. We also read a little bit later about Paul. And, and how Paul's preference uh, became a, a way to belittle uh, other weaker uh, person of faith uh, during his time. Now, you may not think of that, but, but if you look in, in Acts chapter 15, we'll start at verse 36. So, you know, Paul... When he was Saul, he persecuted the Christians, and he was present and supported 
Christians being stoned to death. And, um, and then he had this experience with Jesus uh, where Jesus said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he became then one from persecuting the, the, the Christian believers to a, a strong believer himself and converting uh, to a follower of Jesus. And so he, he had a lot of issues that he had to deal with, right? So let's start in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Sounds like a good plan. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So John Mark was uh, Barnabas' nephew. So he was a younger man. Maybe this was the first time he had really traveled away from home. He'd gotten homesick and had left the ministry tour kind of in, in the middle of it. And uh, Paul didn't like that. And so he had a preference not to take John Mark uh, with him again. Now, here again, a preference can be one thing, but when a preference, this was so strong in Paul's heart that it led to them, this ministry that Barnabas and Paul had together to split in two. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the disagreement was so severe between these two over whether John Mark should go that they broke their partnership. Perhaps even at that time they were like, we're not friends anymore. Or perhaps it was, we, disagree, we agree to disagree and we'll go our separate ways. But that doesn't really seem to be the love of God, does it? I mean, you have to think about Paul at that point to say, okay, weren't you ones that persecuted Christians and, you know, held the coats while other Christians were being stoned? And yet God forgave you that, but you can't forgive this young man from getting homesick and leaving in the middle? Hmm. If God in Christ forgave you, why shouldn't you forgive others? But Paul wasn't ready to do that. You know, there are times when God's grace gives us time to work through our issues. Um, and as long as we are working through them, God's grace can continue. Um, and the reason I say that is later on, there seems to be reconciliation between Paul and John Mark. You see a couple of this in his letters. Uh, in Colossians, uh, Paul writes, um, when he's a prisoner in Rome, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. 
You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So by the time Paul wrote Colossians, he had worked through his issues, he had forgiven, and, and he had made his peace. Or in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul wrote, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So it's not that, that conflict in the church is wrong, but how do we handle the conflict when it comes up. Conflict is an opportunity to extend the grace of God in our relationships with one another. Whether that's in church, in our family, in our friendships, conflict is an opportunity for us to grow stronger together. These are just three of the conflicts that, that were part of the early church. There are a lot more. James writes about the conflict between the rich and the poor. Um, later on, or a little bit earlier in Acts 15, there was a conflict between uh, the Jews who said Gentiles had to become Jewish and follow the, the law in order to become believers. Uh, in Romans, Paul talks about uh, a conflict that arose because some people wanted to celebrate certain days as holy days and others didn't want to celebrate those days as holy days. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, there's the conflict about food sacrificed to idols, and if you could buy meat in the marketplace that had been sacrificed to an idol, which was a common practice um, at that time. So, and there are many more than that. I mean, if you read through Scripture, you'll see conflict after conflict after conflict. And, and so I think part of that's the encouragement that, that we can embrace and, and talk about conflict in the church not that we want to have conflict, but that conflict, you know, people be people, right? And as we are individuals, we have conflict with one another because we have blind spots and unintentionally harm or cause trouble for one another. We have our preferences that sometimes can get extreme and we exclude one another. And so we have to learn how to deal with it. And so here are a few um, takeaways. Value relationships with God and others above all else. And this was a key teaching of Jesus. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, someone comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second is similar to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in the kingdom of God, the values that God, that we have to choose is loving God and loving people. And so that becomes critical that we value relationships over everything else in our lives. We choose that over material possessions, over our ambitions, over... Uh, what, whatever we hold dear is that we love God and we love others. Next, we need to speak up. I mean, in all of these circumstances, a conflict that is hidden becomes a conflict that can fester, right? Through discussion, through communication, we can bring up the, the, the hurts and the slights that we've felt so they can be dealt with 
and we can work through them, seek forgiveness, and change what needs to be changed for people to experience the love of God. But we need to do that in love. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul writes, speak the truth in love. And I think that is the language of God, isn't it? Speaking the truth in love. Not just speaking truth, not just speaking love, but speaking the truth in love. And just as we are new, creation, new, creation, new creatures in Christ, we need to learn to speak the language of our Father. And we do that by hearing His words. You know, just as our babies learn from us, they repeat words, they get them wrong, we just keep speaking to them, and gradually they learn our language by hearing us and by experimenting with it. We learn the language of God in the same way, by repeating His words, by trying to apply it and having a conversation with God, listening to the Holy Spirit. And over time, we learn the language of truth and love. Next, don't give the devil a foothold by letting offense grow. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 reads, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, there are times when we will be angry with those around us. Our spouse, our family members, friends, people at church will get offended by. But don't let the anger sit with you. We've got to deal with those issues and begin to, to move beyond that. That anger gives the devil a foothold, right? It opens the door, it cracks the window, and allows the devil to begin speaking these little words, oh, they don't really like you that much. They're not going to do right by you. They're going to look for opportunities to, you know, accuse you. Whatever the words are that the devil knows that can trigger us, that can help that anger to grow, we've got to stop it and say, you know, I forgive. Use conflict as an opportunity to bless others. We were talking about this in Sunday school, and I think it's one of the, the, the keys to living in the kingdom of God. Um, Luke 6, 28 Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. When we return good for evil and blessing for curse, we align ourselves with the kingdom of God and allow his goodness and his kindness to protect us and to lead us. Now, oftentimes we think of this, bless those who curse you, we think of those in the world that maybe are cursing us or we think of those in the world who are mistreating us. But I think this verse even applies more to uh, those in the body of Christ who we feel have mistreated us or caused us trouble, uh, in our families that cause us trouble, or uh, uh, friends that we think have slighted us. If we will take the time to bless them and say, Lord, you know, so-and-so gave me a dirty look the other day. Lord, bless them. They may be having a hard time. Or, you know, Lord, 
So-and-so invited me out to lunch, and then I showed up, and they didn't show up. I get tired of them doing that all the time. Well, Lord, I pray for her. Pray for him. That, that they can learn to keep a better schedule. <laughs> but we pray for those who mistreat us. We bless those who curse us. Jesus goes on to, to teach, bless, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be what God wants you to be, practice being kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful. If you want mercy, and I think this is where Paul may be understood, if he was going to live the kingdom values, he couldn't be judgmental about John Mark when God had forgiven him so much in his life as well, right? And, and, and as we go back to talking about communion, when we are taking communion, we think of communion as our relationship with God. We are participating in the blood, body and blood of Christ. But, but God will tell you, if you cannot love your brother whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. Our communion with God involves our communion with one another. And we have to live, see that as a whole, not as two separate things. Well, I love God, but I don't care so much about you. It doesn't work that way. We have to love each other even as we love God. I think the fifth thing then is to make room for others' differences. This was an early you know, thing that Paul talked about and perhaps part of what he learned in his relationship with Barnabas and John Mark. He writes in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You, you know, there are different time frames for God bringing a revelation of his truth and his light into our lives and people walk that path at a different speed. But if they're on that path and God is working in their life, then give them room for their pace. A little later in that chapter, he says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. A hand is not an eye, a foot is not an elbow, but each one of them have a different purpose in the body of Christ. And so we have to make room for those differences and, and, and appreciate that people are different and appreciate what people, what God is doing in their life uh, to bring about his goodness and glory. So I encourage you this morning to think about uh, the conflicts in your life. 
that they are a gift of God to you. They may not feel like that. Um, I think it was uh, Thomas Edison that had a good quote. Most people uh, miss opportunity because when it shows up, it looks like work. And, and I think that's true in, in conflict as well, is that we miss the blessing because it shows up as conflict. You know, Peter, you know, the blessing that, that Peter experienced came as a conflict, that he had a conflict, at least within his own soul, but even in his culture, and, and later on, even in the bigger church, because there were Jews who said, you shouldn't be going to Gentiles. He was criticized, uh, and, and there was conflict for years in the early church because of what Peter decided to do that day in terms of following the truth that God was speaking into his life. So embrace the conflicts in your life and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me through this? How can I bring truth and love into this situation? And God will bless you and make you prosper. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are kind and compassionate, you are patient with us, you know our weaknesses. You know um, our blind spots and how our preferences can often lead to prejudices and that we hurt one another. And we ask you to forgive us and teach us how to live blessing those around us, blessing those who curse us. How do, how do we pray for those who mistreat us so that we can live as your children, being kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? Show us how to be merciful just as you have been merciful to us and so that we can be worthy of what Jesus did on the cross for his body that was broken, for his blood that was poured out and that the world can see what you're doing in us and that you will be glorified and honored as is fitting. In Jesus' name, amen.